This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthVest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Wednesday, September 15th, recording. Um, today, markets did pretty solidly. We saw that the Dow was up a little over 200 points, 0.68%. Uh, S&P was up 0.85%. Saw volatility drop over 6.5%. We also saw 10-year Treasury pretty much remain unchanged, uh, sitting at one point. I mean, ultimately, you know, some of this stuff that's been going on in September is definitely to be uh, expected. September has historically been kind of a sell-off month, uh, you know, so we're, we're, we're down for the month. Um, But, you know, that's, that's kind of in line with, in, with what, what, what we've thought, Um, you know, uh, when you're looking at, kind of the historical track record when you're looking at that from CFRA uh, from 1955 uh, stocks have typically been down 0.56%. There's a couple things that helped out today. Uh, Interest rates have kind of gone up a little bit, which is great for bank stocks and also inflation data from month over month, uh, July to August uh, was, was better than expected only going up 0.3%. A lot of supply issues, seem to be team transitory. So some of the big pricing associated with used cars and air travel has kind of come back down to earth, which is helping to tame inflation a little bit. Uh, Grant, any sectors we should be looking at today? Well, just overall for September to to mention, Dow is down 1.5%. S&P is off roughly 0.9%. So the S&P right now is on track for its worst monthly performance since January, um, since we have seen a continued rebound since the start of the year. One mover is Microsoft. They announced a dividend increase and then a pretty sizable share repurchase program of about 60 billion. So one mover there. Also, we saw energy stocks rise uh, again, to, to your point, that could be because oil prices are, are beginning to increase with with the travel demand as summer is now coming to a close. But overall, good to see the market rebounded after there was a, a bit of a September slide to kick us off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're we're kind of looking at things too across the board. We should note that. Wage inflation in August uh, was up despite a pretty weak August jobs report. Uh, in light of new numbers, inflationary, uh, maybe that's less of a concern. But a couple weeks ago, uh, certainly, it certainly you know had some people's jitters up in terms of what that meant for overall inflation. Uh, in August, we saw average hourly earnings jump 0.6 percent for the month, which was about double what Wall Street had been expecting. And it's a pretty good increase um, from a year ago, uh, which is at 4.3%. And I think the the biggest one that jumps out is the leisure and hospitality, which really saw net zero growth in in job numbers. So 
didn't add too many jobs, which if we remember that is one of the sectors that have been hit hardest through the pandemic as restaurants and, and shops have had to close down. But they saw some of the, the biggest wage increases with 1.3% in 10.3 year on year, which is really significant growth if, if we think about that. Uh, so this could be an inflationary sign. We, we did see Jerome Powell's comments last week or maybe two weeks ago at Jackson Hole that they still do not think that inflation is having that big of an impact on the economy compared to what we're hearing in the media. But with unemployment where it is and now this rising of wages, we, we could see more hawkish policies. The Fed has been playing with if they're going to ease monetary policy, especially around their monthly buy uh, buying of bonds, purchasing of bonds in the marketplace today. We also saw the Atlanta Fed's wage growth tracker, which really measures wages on a monthly 12-month basis and then uses the, the three-month average to iron it out. And on, a, on, a, on that level, we're showing wages have risen 3.7% 3, 3 on pace, which would be um, the largest since 2007, even though it has been uh, bumpy, it, they smooth it out. So the next measurement is supposed to be this Friday. So that could be something to watch out for. If we see a, a continued growth, we could see some movement from the Fed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in terms of when we're looking at where the job openings are, I mean, back in July, you had 10.9 million jobs available, uh, which was, when we, we brought that up. That was a fifth monthly record in a row. Uh, it certainly seems like, you know, Delta has continued to spike in various areas and that's that's forced people to kind of go out to the sidelines you know be home givers and and they want to especially in the service industry they want to maybe sit it out for next couple months um but then there's there, there has been a long narrative right in the u.s especially that uh this part of this work and shortage isn't exactly new and then there has been a mismatch between what employers want and what you know, skills we have as human capital that exists currently. Um, there's a lot more demand for computer science and, and some advanced manufacturing skill sets that just uh, don't exist really. Um, you know, you know, out in the workforce, and that's that's that sh that should be noted, and we shouldn't underlook that too. Like part of this trend isn't just kind of the seasonality nature of COVID. Some of this is uh, long-term structural problems in terms of what we've trained for versus, you know, what, what talent companies are looking for. That's a great point, Drew, because there, that, that mismatch has been apparent even pre pandemic. If, if we do just think about the job market over the last 18 months, specifically though, we've seen flowing of unemployment surge in savings as well. So people maybe not feeling like they, they need to stretch for, for a different job or are comfortable with it without having long commutes or they are tired of living in an expensive city. And so maybe they left their job and are moving to a different place. And on top of that, as you mentioned, the Delta variant is seems like it's gonna be start hitting sectors like the retail and restaurant services, which do remain a health risk, which some are, people are citing, which is why they're not going back to work. We saw that 5.6 million people said they were unable to work because of the pandemic which was an increase from 5.2 million in July. So there still is a, a large population of people who 
have been impacted by the pandemic, whether it's child care or uh, they're taking care of an elderly person who is more susceptible to to COVID. The, 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 we've gone on over the reasons multiple times, but that, that is a key factor on, on why there, there's so many job openings as well. Yeah, uh, we should note um, kind of a toast to good health to our boy, uh, Warren Buffett. He recently turned 91. Uh, it's all those cheeseburgers they're good for your cholesterol cheeseburgers and uh yeah diet cokes and uh driving a lincoln apparently but uh (laughs) well it's funny every time i think i see a picture of him online he's he's either eating an ice cream cone or uh or or having a burger in front of him yeah it's oracle of omaha likes to keep it midwestern that's for sure um but (laughs) they uh yeah i mean you know despite his his he's a little bit long in the tooth now at 91. Uh, Berkshire's kind of made some major splashes, uh, you know, and they and they've left a lot of their traditional roots. We've seen them putting on way more tech exposure than they have historically. Uh, historically, um, they've grown; it's grown to 45% of its portfolio. Uh, part of that's you know the stake in Apple, but they 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 have also kind of gone into IPOs, which uh, in the past Warren Buffett has been pretty squeamish about, you know, IPOs often comparing it to a to a lottery. But uh, you know, they they bought 250 million worth of Snowflake stock at IPO price, and um, and you know they they've looked they've looked at other IPOs as well. Uh, it's been the first time since um, Ford made their debut in 1956 that they've been really having initial public <laughs> offering exposure. So. Quite the time lag there, uh, you know, 54 years. <laughs> but yeah. it, it, it does show a shift in, in how investing, because if we think about Warren Buffett, he really was the pioneer of the buy and hold strategy, often trying to uh, buy value. So he's looking for companies that can he can turn around, make an impact on um, or, or influencing them. He really hasn't had this. IPO and and that may have impacted the returns of Berkshire Hathaway because they haven't participated in the rapid growth of say an Amazon and, and Apple until recently as you mentioned 2016 but it seems like Warren is now given his the the two predecessors Todd Combs and Todd Wilshire uh, more flexibility and really an opportunity to make some bets where they think uh, could be impactful for for Berkshire. They also invested in a Brazilian fintech company called Stone Co. Um, with, in 2018, which now has doubled in the price. So now that's uh, up to seven million valuation. And then we also saw that Berkshire took a stake in India's largest digital payment startup. So they're not just looking domestically as well. So it 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 is interesting to see a, a big shift. Uh, from the value to the to the high growth opportunities. Yeah, and we should also note that they've exited some of their bigger financial bets. Um, they've offloaded some JP um, Morgan Chase. They've offloaded some PNC Financial, uh, as well as some Wells Fargo. Uh, they still have quite a bit of stakes in American Express and uh, B of A. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that, that's it's really... You know, they're, they're right now their cash pile at the end of June stood at $144 billion. Uh, they've really 
gone hard uh, with buybacks recently, um, despite, you know, the pure amount of, of cash they're holding. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, that's also a little bit different, too. I mean, when you're looking at 1999, um, Buffett said he wouldn't buy back Berkshire shares unless that they were fairly dramatically underpriced. Well, uh, if, if Berkshire's underpriced, then, you know, I, I don't know what proper valuations would be right now. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, it's uh, I, <laughs> underpriced is not the not the term that I would use. But uh, moving, speaking of tech, we've seen that Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Alphabet, um, and Google now have outperformed the broader markets over the past month, retaking leadership of the S&P 500. Coming into the holiday season, everyone looks uh, to these companies, how they're going to perform, especially Amazon trying to keep up with labor shortages and now supply chain. Um aspects people think that netflix might be the investment for this upcoming holiday season because they won't be as impacted by the supply chain's disruption or as much of the labor shortages um drew what's your take on on where netflix is compared to the other fangs yeah i mean a big part of this is just straight up supply chain, right? I mean, it's a streaming service. It's not dealing with uh, inventory and shipping in the way that Amazon and, and, and Apple are at least. Um, and, and you have Craig Johnson, who's a chief market technician at uh, Piper Sandler kind of, you know, said as much, right? They're, they're just able to avoid potential supply change disruptions um, better than the other bank stocks. So I'd say that's really point one. Um, but then uh, you know, there's also a lot of talk in terms of where we are at valuations. And uh, you know, if you're looking at technical charts, uh, there's, there's a lot of analysts who think that uh, Netflix might be right for, for a breakout as well. So It is too, especially if you think about Apple itself, they just, introduced a new line of iPhones. So the iPhone 13, I'm starting to lose track of them. Uh, and it sounds like I'm not the only one because it seems like the price is unchanged and there's a slightly bigger screen, maybe a little bit better of a camera. Uh, but we did see Apple shares dip, uh, which indicates that people reacted that the updates were modest and really didn't need the all of the major advancements that they had previously been promised. Um, but interesting thing about Apple there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and in the holiday season as well, right? I mean, <clears throat> movie theaters are still no-goes in a lot of places, and people will kind of watch some of their old-time favorites, favorites uh, on, on Netflix, uh, getting into you know, the Thanksgiving and, and then the Christmas holidays. So... It's a big part of it, just the sheer seasonality of it. Um, let's let's kind of change focus right now. We we've talked about Coinbase. Uh, Securities and Exchange Commission is now planning a possible enforcement action, maybe suing uh, Coinbase related to the interest earning product that the company um, had planned to launch in the coming weeks. Uh, we saw. You know, they, they received the Wells notice from um, the SEC 
couple, like a couple Wednesdays ago that they intended to sue over the product, uh, which is called Coinbase Lens. So yeah, I mean, as a result, you saw some saw that dip, Coinbase dip a little bit. Yeah, so the the, the product is interesting. It's promising a four percent annual uh, percentage yield on a stable coin by allowing Coinbase to then lend those funds to verified buyers. Um, it, it is funny to see the tit for tat between the SEC and Coinbase, especially Coinbase's CEO. So on the seventh last week, uh, Coinbase published a blog post revealing the SEC said it would sue. Then this the CEO Armstrong took to Twitter really uh, saying that the um, SEC was having shady behavior and sketchy behavior. SEC came right back with a 30-second tutorial on how bonds work and, and how interest accounts work. Uh, and then it just keeps on uh, getting better to um, where yesterday we saw the head of the SEC testify um, and really seem to have gone after Coinbase saying it's not a license to operate a stock exchange, um, even though they're not classified as securities yet. Uh, so overall, it, it seems like it's cryptocurrency regulation could be uh, sooner rather than later. And that may have a big impact on the price of these cryptocurrencies, because one, one of the big reasons why they might be so popular is because they're not currently regulated and there is a free flow of capital. Yeah, I guess I'd also make the argument that Coinbase Lend isn't totally revolutionary, right? I mean, you have companies like BlockFi and Gemini, and they, they've offered you know, fairly high interest accounts um, um, on, on stablecoin and other crypto products uh, for, for some time. So um, whether it's they have a specific issue with Coinbase land or this is going to be a, a broader attack on such, you know, similar crypto products, we'll have to see. But it could be the first of many. Yeah, I mean, and, and when we're looking at Bitcoin specifically, there's definitely been somewhat of a pullback, but uh, there's definitely reasons to think that, I mean, it, there might be kind of a hockey stick um, kind of type acceleration. I mean, it, it took 12 years to get your first 100 million users into Bitcoin. Um, after that, it was five months to double that. So, you know, you got over 200 million users uh, you've seen a lot of economies, uh, especially, I mean, South El Salvador is the most notable example recently, um, that have, have kind of opening up to the prospect of using it as fiat and legal tender, um, or, I mean, you know, like operating. In but the, they really botched that, that, that rollout. And so we could see them opening up to other, other cryptocurrencies as well, based on how negative the adoption was. Yes. Yeah. The, the, I mean, that's, that's kind of why the, the Bitcoin, you know, dropped right and flirted with, you know, 46,000 um, was, 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 was because you know, it, was, it was somewhat botched. It, it, it is an interesting take because we, we have seen, you know, a cleanup of Chinese miners. So the Chinese government has now been attacking it. We've seen environmentalists attacking it by how much energy it takes to, to mine and store all of these cryptocurrencies. And then um, not to mention some countries have been 
like El Salvador trying to roll it out as a payment source. But then we see, as we just talked about, the SEC in the United States could be clamping down. Uh, EU could be clamping down. So it, it I with, with the if there comes in heavy regulation from the SEC or or other government governing bodies, I think you'll see the price of, of Bitcoin continue to drop and not rise um, because I think that's going to reduce the number of users um, today. Also, since you are at that 53, I know you can buy 53,000 level. I know that you can buy uh, quarter coins or, or whatever pieces of a coin, um, but you, you may have priced out some of the uh, new users as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess it will kind of make the move in um, what shares have done, right? I mean, when you had a series of, you have partial shares now, and that's just really in a response to some of the, the tech companies and their current valuations um, priced out, you know, people in the market, regardless of how many stock splits uh, they, they might they might engage in. So, I mean, I, I do think it will be buying as a fraction, fractionality. Uh, they very well increase and in, in, in different ways to do that. We kind of started our conversation with what the Fed uh, is going to do. Uh, you, you mentioned they, they're having that meeting coming up on September 21st, and then we'll see whether they're going to change policy between uh, you know, maybe probably October and November. But we should note that a lot of policy is normalizing in terms of central banks around the world. Uh, I mean, you've seen South Korea uh, at the end of August put up interest rates for the first time since 2018. Norway's probably going to follow suit. Uh, a couple of New Zealand, there's a couple other countries. Uh, and, and then and the emerging economies, you've actually seen Brazil and Russia uh, already raise rates. So that's a lot different than what some of the larger, uh, you know, more developed economies have done, but that's more looking at G20 economies like, like U.S. Of course, um, bank, you know, the Britain and, and then the Bank of Japan. That's going to be something to really keep our eye on, as it seems to be following a general global trend. Well, the overall global policy seemed like we were headed for for tightening. Um, Really, and the reason why is is because of inflation. So we saw three percent inflation in the euro area, four percent inflation in the United States, and then over nine percent in Brazil. And so we were thinking that we were going to start to see globally tightening of policy. As you mentioned, we did just see some raise rates, um, but it also is reflective uh, in the buy buying. Um, so the European Central Bank is expecting to announce reduction there um, in their meeting last week. We're still waiting to hear about that. Um, then we also have heard Jerome Powell has mentioned that October may be the first month, but now with the weak job numbers that we discussed earlier on the podcast, uh, that that may cause a delay there from the Federal Reserve, uh, but only for a couple of months at the, at the most. I, I just can't see them continuing to buy $120 billion worth of bonds each month. Uh, so, so that will begin to unwind. But the, the, the real kicker, I think, is why we're seeing central banks take such a slow 
reaction time is because if we think about earlier this year, the economic rebound was pretty much baked in to forecast GDP estimates, where we were going um, as the vaccine started to roll out. But now those growth concerns are really coming to bat with the spread of the Delta variant. So Southeast Asia has had really high rates where factories have been shut down that will continue to impact the supply bottleneck change that chain that we have experienced, especially going into a holiday season. That could have a, a big impact as demand will continue to grow. Uh, America as well, uh, our cases are, are also going up. So that could have an impact as well. Uh, We have seen forecasts of of the United States GDP uh, from the third quarter uh, go to an annualized rate from from six to below four percent. So central banks are are looking at all this data and saying we don't want to start tightening so much when our economic growth may just lose momentum from uh, companies shutting back down, supply bottleneck chains. People start starting to travel less, go out to eat less, uh, really having a, a, a bounce back from what we had last year with shutdowns. Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, forecasts for GDP growth have, have gone down. I, I wait to see. We got new mandates coming into effect in terms of healthcare workers and federal workers, um, which... I think that might kick up uh, vaccination rates, you know, a good clip, at least initially, right? I mean, you'll, you'd see maybe an immediate bump like like we saw in, in, in May and June um, before we saw our big, big declines in July. So we might get more vaccinations. Uh, we, I mean, the United Kingdom had a similar Delta surge, and then they, they eventually teetered off a little bit and getting into some colder months. So... We really don't know whether it's going to look like last year where it spread during the colder months or not. Uh, I mean, um, the, the timeline of this thing is, you know, we don't have really clear patterns yet. But, yeah, so, I mean, I think, I mean, Delta is obviously weighing high on everyone's minds. And you see it specifically. I mean, the Canadians uh, are having an election in five days. Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau caused a snap election. Uh, so, I mean, one, people are frustrated with that, but uh, two, looks like a big decline in his popularity has done by, is due to, you know, Canadians' concerns about their inflation. So, I mean, the United States' inflation, it certainly doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists everywhere on the planet right now. And it, it's going to be fascinating to see how that, uh, I mean, dictates political change, right? I mean, in, in upcoming elections and, and um, how much of this, factors in on the voters' minds. Yeah, it has a big impact. I mean, we just saw also in California, Gavin Newsom, the the vote to recall. Looks like there there was a big vote for him to stay in office, but people are looking to uh, government leadership for reactions to the pandemic and inflationary pressures and, and where we are today. Yeah. Um, anything we overlooked uh, this week, Grant? Well, there's one... Um, one IPO we should mention. So the Swiss running shoe company on people think it's maybe called on cloud. Um, you've seen them. They kind of have the funny bottoms, uh, but uh, they uh, 
went on an IPO this week. Uh, they raised $746 million, uh, with valuing the company at $6 billion. And the reason why this is important is this is one of the first direct-to-consumer brands who are going to go public. So other people know Allbirds or Rent the One Runway are also in the pipeline. Uh, On was was really one of the – is going to be the first one. And we have seen direct-to-consumer brands uh, really about to have a burst of IPOs uh, and and. People are wondering if, if now is the time um, or if they, they should have used a different avenue. Uh, but really, it sounds like that we should be on the lookout for these direct-to-consumers because they, they really could pop, especially because, I guess, sneaker sales during the pandemic have also increased. More people were going for runs, not going to the gym. More people are going on on, on hikes. And also, people are staying around the house in sneakers and not and wearing dress shoes or, or uh, heels or, or anything like that to, to, to the office. So um, interesting one there. And then one other note is we did see uh, Senator Warren call for the for the Fed to break up Wells Fargo. Uh, she's been doing this for a while. Interesting tack how, how she wants to strip out everything that's not just focused uh, on 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 basic banking. Uh, so see if that gets any traction with the Fed as well. What about you, Drew? Yeah, no, I, I think that um, people should be calling, paying pretty close uh, attention to Canada's elections. Uh, it's going to be a good bellwether um, for for how disgruntled voters are uh, amidst amidst COVID, and and I mean we have other big elections coming up too. Um, you know, Germany, Germany being uh, a, a massive one um, as well uh, at at the end of this month. So. I think we should be following Canada. We should be following Germany, and ultimately see whether that means uh, major changes in fiscal policy um, throughout the developed world. Uh, all right, everybody. With that, uh, I'd like to thank you for liking and subscribing and tuning in this week. Uh, and and we're out. Talk to you later. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host, and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.